0: Welcome to the Managing Miscarriage Podcast. I am Melissa Whitman, founder of the nonprofit One Generation and our current initiative, Managing Miscarriage. I need your help. Let's take this community to the next level. Here's what you can do. Number one, if you like this podcast, please hit pause and take a few seconds to rate it on iTunes. Number two, donate through our website, managingmiscarriage.com. Number three, share your story. Go to calendly.com slash melissawhitman to schedule a time to chat with me. Or, number four, join our Patreon page for over 30 more episodes you can't find anywhere else, as well as exclusive content. Patreon.com slash miscarriage, that's P A T R E O N.com slash miscarriage. All the details are linked in the show notes. Enjoy the episode and thanks for tuning in. Danielle, thank you so much for joining me today on the Managing Miscarriage podcast. You just had a loss um, two months ago, right? In June?
1: Yes, June of this year.
0: Yeah, and you had quite a journey to get there. So we want to hear all of it.
1: Yes, yes. Thank you. Um, so uh, it starts basically with uh, meeting my husband. Who we met about five years ago. Things were going great, we fell hard and fast, and uh, everything was going good. And then he met with his dad one day and his dad told him that he had gone for some genetic testing. He has, um, my husband has two cousins who have an issue with uh, chromosome 18 and it turned out that it was a fam- family genetic issue on his dad's side of the family.
0: Tell us more about that.
1: Well, it's um, called a pericentric inversion on chromosome 18. So it's, um, it's not a very black and white kind of diagnosis, how um, it works if you are a carrier for it. Um, there's about one in three chance of Outcomes for potential babies. So, potentially, your baby will be a carrier, which, as it turned out, my husband was, and so is my father in law. Um, you can have a perfectly normal baby, or you can have a baby who has um, either a deletion of a chromosome, either the short arm or the long arm. Um, sometimes the DNA is flipped. Um, it's very unpredictable until an embryo is created how that chromosome 18 will actually line up. So, okay. yeah. So it's um, very rare. I think it's about one in a hundred thousand uh, that you can be a carrier for this. So, it. Uh, yeah, it was kind of surprising to learn this. Um, Like I said, my husband's cousins had, uh, he has two cousins that are affected by this in the same family. So it wasn't surprising, but the connection was never made until his aunt did some more investigating, prompted her siblings to get tested, which is why my father-in-law did. So we find this out. There is a researcher out at one of the universities not too far from here that uh, is following the family so we were told to get a referral kind of thing so being at that time when we found all this out we had only been dating about six months or so so we just kind of decided to put a pin on it and uh, we discussed it obviously but we put a pin on things and just said we'll see how things go so we ended up getting engaged so at that time we decided to reach out to the uh this center so we could go for testing and meet with the genetic counselor but it was about a year and a half wait at that time so we oh, had wow. lots of time yeah yeah well um, I live in Canada so it's all through like the universal healthcare so the wait times are quicker I guess than what it probably would be if you're going through private insurance or whatever so uh, we knew that there was going to be a long wait we were told if any circumstances change, if we were to fall pregnant, um, there was a change in the family to call and maybe we could get bumped up. So this was, we called when we uh, got engaged, um, we knew we'd have time, our wedding was going to be like another year and a half away kind of thing, we you know, wanted to wait to start a family until that time and we still just thought there was a 50% chance, so not a big deal. Um, well, obviously it's a big deal. but. Uh, it just wasn't in the forefront of our minds so we kind of carried along um and then my husband's sister had her second baby and she didn't have the testing and her baby was affected um, on chromosome 18 so he was born with all sorts of issues he was in NICU for three months just a very sick baby he still is but he you know, not in hospital anymore and doing the best that they can. So uh, we contacted the clinic again um, and they rushed us up. So it was like a month before our wedding. We went in and we discussed the pericentric inversion, what it meant if he was a carrier, what the blood, how long the blood work would take, which was three months to get the results back. So that was also another week we were going to have to go through. Um and basically the options were um CBS sampling where they sample the placenta once you're like 10 to 12 weeks gestation okay. or or um amniocentesis, which is I think about sixteen to eighteen weeks. And the third option was doing in vitro and doing pre-implantation genetic diagnosis or genetic screening, so PGD or PGS. Um they kind of interchange terms. So uh, we had discussed that um, we felt that if we did end up in that situation where my husband was the carrier, that we would go for PGS testing and we would pursue in vitro because we felt testing beforehand and like choosing to have a healthy embryo was the choice that we wanted. We wanted to have a healthy baby. Just knowing that we had a one in three chance of having a very, very sick baby. So um, we had our blood, or he had his blood work drawn, and we were just kind of sent home to wait. And that's not my personality. So I started researching fertility clinics, PGS testing, and in Ontario, you can actually have one cycle of IVF paid for through the health coverage. So it's a wait list for that as well. They don't cover the medications or the uh, genetic screening component, but they do cover the cost of the IBS cycle, embryo transfer, all the stuff involved in that. And how long is so, the wait for that? Um, at that time, it was about six to nine months once you got on the list. Okay. so. Yeah, so we um, went to an appointment, we like had our wedding, went on our honeymoon, kind of took a little break from thinking about all this and waiting for the results and uh, we came back and we decided to uh, go and meet with the fertility clinic and the doctor there and explain our story. Um, because there's no in-between, like no IUI or fertility treatments. You have to jump right to IVF where you create embryos so they can be tested. You can't test a sperm or you can't test an egg. It's not until the egg and the sperm meet and an embryo is formed that this can be tested for. So, um, we had our initial meeting. Everything was good. have this whole series of tests and steps you have to take before you can take um, get started with IVF, like a counseling session, um, a bunch of workup and stuff like that. So that was all fine. Um, the clinic that we chose was more of a satellite clinic. We're about like an hour and a half away from um, a major city, so. This clinic, you do all your cycle monitoring and all your ultrasounds, blood tests here, which is about a 40-minute drive from where I live. And um, the actual, like, egg retrieval procedures and all that was uh, downtown in uh, Toronto. was the closest city. So uh, we got the news in October that my husband was a carrier. So obviously that was hard, but we knew it was a 50% chance and we had already got the ball rolling with IVF and creating our family, So um, we just waited to be able to meet with the doctors. So uh, we did meet with our doctor finally in January in Toronto. He was very lovely. He was very confident in our procedures and with our age and not really having any um, factors showing that we would have issues with infertility felt that we should be very successful. And that's kind of the uh, intention we led on with. So we started our cycle in July of 2018 um, and everything went relatively fine with that. Like it's, IVF is not fun. It's daily blood work and ultrasounds and measuring all the follicles you're producing. It was a lot, but we got through it. Um, And we ended up with five embryos that they could, they biopsy the embryos when they become a blastocyst, which is on day five or day six. They um, extract like a cell. And then they freeze all your embryos and they send off the biopsies to be tested. So that's where, how they do the genetic screening. Okay. Um, yeah, so uh, we had to wait for those results. And when we got the results back, we were just um, floored. We only had one healthy embryo out of the five. And we just, you know, knowing that it was a one in three odd for, um, being affected by chromosome 18, we were just really surprised. We weren't really prepared for there to only be one. We just kind of thought this would be it. We do our cycle and then we'll be able to have our babies and have our family, but that wasn't the case. So um, two of them were affected by chromosome 18 and then just IVF, how it goes, there tends to be more genetic misalignments and the other two were related to that, so. Uh, we had one healthy embryo, and I just, at that point, um everything just flipped for me. I was like, wow, this isn't going to be, like, the easy kind of process I thought it was going to be. Um We're most likely going to have to do this again in the future, and I need to get healthy. So I completely changed my diet. I lost, like, 25 pounds. I cut out all of like the toxins from my makeup and skincare. I just did everything. I started seeing a naturopath. Um, I started doing acupuncture. I just did everything I could to get my body as healthy as it could be to receive this embryo. Good for you. Yeah, yeah, it was, uh, I just didn't want to look back if something did go wrong and have a regret and wish I would have done this differently or I would have done that differently. So um, we did the embryo transfer at the end of October. The embryo transfer process it's about like my protocol is about six weeks from the time like I got my day one period to the time they transferred uh, the embryo in. So there's a lot um, with that process you're on hormones to like support the pregnancy and just to make your uterus as habitable as possible for potential babies so unfortunately that embryo transfer was negative and it did not take Um, and after the embryo transfer it's definitely referred to a lot online as the two week wait or the dreaded two week wait because you have this embryo put in you, you have to act and treat your body like you're pregnant and you don't know if you will be or not. And I really was hoping that I would and when we had our blood test, it was negative and it was really hard. We, um, that was kind of a loss all in itself. I was really excited, um, kind of mapping out what my pregnancy milestones would be and one way due date would be. So that was a bit of a grieving process in its own. But we uh, had already discussed what we would do if uh, that embryo transfer didn't work and we were going to go into another IBS cycle. So we went right into it. Um, uh, January we started. Um, I had to do a primer cycle that time, just taking some estrogen to prime myself for the, the hormones. And I started in the beginning of February for my second IVF cycle. And again, we only ended up with five embryos at the end of it, so I was very anxious. It felt like deja vu. Yeah. Yeah, I, I just couldn't believe it was the same number, but- um, Is it is that an average I, number? Um, it depends. Everybody's kind of different. Some people can have as much as 10 embryos, but if they don't um, do genetic testing, and most couples who are just reaching for IVF um, for, for related to infertility, typically I don't think they would be doing uh, the PGS. They would just be putting the embryos in, and if there was a couple of fails, then they might look at PGS. Okay. So, yeah, so um, for us, I thought five was a good number. Yeah. And yeah, Yes. so uh, we got the results back, and this time we had two healthy embryos, one affected by chromosome 18, one affected by something else, and then a third that had no reading at all. So we have the option to retest that at some point in time. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, it was just a, a, a happenstance kind of situation, but they would have to. Too healthy. Too healthy. So okay. already, I was just very relieved at this point in time. Yeah, it was it it was good to know that you had the extra just in case because I knew very well that this next embryo transfer might not take. So um, we get the results back. you have to wait, or at least at my facility um, they wait two period cycles before doing the embryo transfer, um, just so the hormones can detox out of your body and get you better prepped to receive the embryo. So uh, we did our embryo transfer at the end of April and I, like, had stopped up on Costco pregnancy tests and started testing, like, I think on day six post-transfer, and it was negative, and then on the Friday, which was exactly one week after the embryo transfer, I had a very faint positive, so oh I was my just gosh. so excited, it, like, it just felt like the world stopped for a few minutes, we had been praying and hoping for this moment for so long and here it was, so. But of course, like, you know, is it really positive? You know, you just kind of second guess. So the following day, like, early, first morning PE, did my um, uh, pregnancy test again. I got an even darker line and then the next day got an even darker. So it's really happy, so thrilled. And then um, that Monday we went to the fertility clinic and they drew my beta level and my HCG was quite positive, so that was great. And at this point, you're really only, like not even four weeks pregnant. It's before you even have missed a period with how the uh, dates work. So it was very early, So um, and we knew that. So every 48 hours, I was going to the clinic and having my beta level redrawn and it was, They want to see it doubling. It was more than doubling. So we were feeling very excited, very optimistic. Um, The numbers were really high. So at this point, we, um, of course, we had already told a lot of our family and um, close friends. They were well aware of our journey. So that weekend after was Mother's Day. So we told both of our moms on Mother's Day kind of thing. And uh, we told them we had taken a picture of the pregnancy test. So it was a very special moment. It was very exciting. Very early, we warned everybody it was um, to be cautious, but we were all very excited, and the numbers were looking good. So um, at this point, they kind of just were drawing my beta weekly, and it was still going up. And then um, they said, okay, we're done doing the betas, and you'll go for an ultrasound in two weeks. So I think they stopped drawing my betas. I was about six weeks pregnant, and I was going for my eight-week ultrasound. So we go for the ultrasound, and uh, it wasn't at the clinic. Um, I just went somewhere locally. And we go in, Um, the woman called me in. Um, She wouldn't let my husband in with me, but she said, oh, we'll bring him back in. And I was like, oh, okay. must be a standard protocol kind of thing and uh, go in for the ultrasound and I didn't really know what to expect. I like Googled everything like about IVF but I didn't really Google like or look up the first ultrasound. So I'm in there with my full bladder Um she kind of warned me. She said, I'm not going to say very much during this ultrasound i'm going to be very quiet it doesn't mean that anything is good or bad it just means i'm trying to assess what i need to assess so it's nice
0: she actually gave you that warning
1: yes i thought so too so i she did the first part she was very much poker face i went empty my bladder and went for the trans vag part and now at this point I'm starting to get worried because she's not showing me anything, she's not calling my husband in, and then it's done. And I'm like, um, aren't, we, aren't I supposed to be seeing the uh, heartbeat today or hearing the heartbeat? And of course she can't say anything or disclose anything, but she just said there was no heartbeat for me to see. <laughs> Oh, so my gosh. I was just devastated. My whole world, like, just collapsed right there. And, yeah, even just talking about it, um, like, I'm shaking cause it was just such an unexpected thing. Oh. I was just thought this was going to be the day I was going to, like, meet my baby, right? Like, see that heartbeat and...
0: Absolutely.
1: Yeah. So, um, at this point, uh, she, I, I, I knew what it meant. Um, I knew that there should have been a heartbeat, especially trans Um, so, uh, she gave me a hug. She was really sweet, but, um, yeah, she just said, well, you know, like the radiologist will be here in an hour. He'll read your, your ultrasound and get the results to your doctor and, um, you'll go from there so then like all the in this moment my husband's not with me <laughs> so I had to go out into the waiting room and tell him there was no heartbeat
0: So. oh my gosh they could have handled that a little better so much better <laughs>
1: oh I'm so sorry
0: yeah thank oh. you it was
1: it was horrible like um oh. thankfully there was nobody else in the waiting room oh
0: my gosh thank goodness
1: he saw me and I like, he saw my face, I like ran out the door and I told him in the parking lot and we just, yeah, time just stood still for about like five minutes, we just held each other in the parking lot. We didn't know what to do. (laughs) So, um, after that, um, I contacted my clinic and primarily the email. so I had emailed them saying hey, I had my ultrasound this morning, um, they couldn't find a heartbeat, um, they're going to be looking at it in about an hour or so, like please keep an eye out for the result, like let me know what's going on, and so they called me a couple hours later, and actually, so I don't even know why I did this, like I think I was just in so much shock and didn't know what to do and it was right before my shift. Um, I, I went to work because I didn't know what else to do, Oh my god. so yeah, I should have gone to work that day um, retrospectively, but uh, yeah, I went to work that day, it was a long day, but I just, um, I'm a nurse and I didn't want to call like half an hour before my shift and not be there <laughs> so I, I I just went in um, I got through my day I came home and we just kind of we cried like that whole night it was it was tough <laughs> um, so in the meantime my clinic contacted me back and said um, they got the results um, and in the ultrasound there was no fetal pull and there was no herpes, obviously, and they were suspecting a blighted ovum. But, um, oh, but the your numbers is kept going up. I know, like, hi, I got to like over 9,000. Um, wow. Like, yeah, so it was very strange, and I haven't actually officially been given a diagnosis if it was um, blighted ovum truly, but the sac was measuring at seven weeks and three days and I was supposed to be eight weeks and three days the day of the ultrasound. So um, they just said they wanted to repeat it in 10 to 14 days, like kind of standard protocol and we would go from there. So here I am waiting 10 to 14 days, it ended up being a 12-day wait until my next ultrasound. Um, just not knowing, I was had this baby, potential baby inside me, but I didn't know. Um, up until that point, I had a bunch of pregnancy symptoms, I was feeling nauseous, I was very fatigued, my breasts were really sore, and over that time, it started going away. But they told me to keep taking my progesterone and estrogen. So that was still supporting the pregnancy at that point in time. Yeah, which is why I think there was no sign there was anything wrong because I was on the hormone therapy still.
0: Yeah, I've seen that before. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, um... In that time, we had already had an appointment to meet with uh, one of the OB doctors at the fertility clinic, um, just to kind of touch base and create our plan for graduating from the clinic, which uh, that appointment turned out not to be. And we went and we dis- he knew the ultrasound and we discussed what our plan was uh, for passing the pregnancy. And at this point in time, I had been listening to your podcast quite religiously and hearing all these women sharing their stories about their experiences with passing naturally or misoprostol or DNC. And I didn't really want to have a DNC if I didn't have to. Um, I work actually in a recovery room, so I see a lot of women after having DNC procedures and I just really didn't want to do that if I didn't have to, kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, we talked about our options and we elected for the, uh, mesoprostol and I'm like, okay, uh, I left with my prescription. I told the nurses who, like, there's only three nurses that work at that clinic, so they all knew me quite well and we're all aware of what was happening. And I told them, like, I had the prescription and... The ultrasound was going to be that following Monday, so I would stop the hormones, um, and then kind of, I was thinking of doing it on the weekend following, but after I went home I was thinking about it and I decided, I felt fairly certain that there was not going to be, um, a heartbeat or whatever at the next ultrasound. so. I just stopped taking my hormones Then I I think it was my way of just kind of taking some control of the situation because I felt once I knew that there was nothing viable, I just, I didn't want to have it in me anymore. I just wanted it to pass.
0: Yeah, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, so I left with the prescription. um, You know, just waited a couple more days, and then we had the ultrasound, which... Confirmed that the pregnancy wasn't viable that ultrasound obviously was a lot Smoother and I almost felt relieved because I was in this in-between zone for about almost two weeks Of not being sure if I was pregnant and holding on to like this glimmer of hope that maybe it was wrong so I found um, that to be a relief to know that this is our next step
0: yeah that in between is awful
1: it was awful it was a really difficult time so um yeah we had the ultrasound and me just kind of being the proactive person I am I had emailed the clinic and told them that this ultrasound Uh, confirmed that the pregnancy wasn't viable and I said I'd actually stopped my hormones after my appointment so I think I'm gonna go ahead with the mesoprostol Wednesday which was two days I was just gonna take the rest of the week off work and have the weekend and give myself time to recover both physically and emotionally Um, and I I don't know why it, it didn't occur to me up until this point but I was like should I try and collect the products? Like, are are you guys gonna wanna do testing? Because hypothetically, this miscarriage, or blighted ovum specifically, most of the time it's from the chromosomes not lining up, but we had already tested and knew that all these chromosomes for this baby were supposed to be normal.
0: That's so true.
1: So true, Um, like of course, I think it's like a 98% accuracy, so um, they responded back, they contacted my doctor in Toronto and they called me and they said that he would like me to have a DNC um, so they can retrieve the products and do the testing. I was like, oh, okay, so that just kind of, this whole plan that I had come to peace with um and wrap my head around just completely changed and I was like okay yeah I I'm gonna think about it um and I discussed it with my husband and just for the sake of knowing we thought having the DNC would be best so that's what we decided to do But then um, that same day, because I had stopped taking my hormones, I started spotting. Oh, right. Yeah, and I was getting some cramping. So I was very anxious about, oh, I'm supposed to have this DNC now. Like, what do I do if it does pass? So, like, I grabbed a couple specimen containers from work. I was carrying them around in my purse. Oh,
0: bless your heart. Oh, my God.
1: I didn't know what to do. I just wanted oh to be prepared. Gosh. So, yes. yeah, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, like I don't know. You hear some of the stories. Like it happens so quickly for some women. Like I just, I didn't know, and I've obviously never been through this. So, um, the referral um, because my doctor was based in Toronto uh, was for the hospital in Toronto, which is about an hour and a half away. So um, they couldn't get me in until uh, Friday. Um, So this was the Monday, so it was another four days to have to wait. Um, So that was tough, but I did take that week off of work, um, just kind of waiting for it. Uh, We had to go for a pre-op kind of assessment and they did my blood work and stuff like that uh, because they had to compare my blood work to the Uh, products of conception so um, I had the DNC on that Friday everything went okay in terms of the procedure Um, my bleeding had really picked up and my cramping so I was really afraid that like I was gonna pass before the surgery but the doctor said like everything was still intact and it was just my body was gearing up to pass so I was cutting it close, I felt, but not as close as I thought. So I had the DNC, um, that went well. I was really surprised though, I wasn't expecting a lot of pain, and I had a lot of pain, but it didn't really start until about halfway on our drive home. <laughs> um, so I was really worried that there was something wrong. I was checking my underpants on the way in the passenger seat, making sure I wasn't like hemorrhaging because the pain was just so significant. It was a really bad cramping pain. And most yeah, I was so surprised and I have no idea why, Um, because all of the stories I've seen, I've I've listened to, um, nobody really seems to have a lot of pain with their DNCs beyond just some cramping. Um, So I had taken some Advil um, on the way home and they had given me some Tylenol number 3's with codeine so I just kept waiting for it to kick in and it just didn't but finally um, once I did get home I had some heating pads and the heat just kind of released the cramping so I was really happy with that um, that I was able to find some relief and then The next day um, I woke up and I felt like okay I was fine so
0: which is probably kind of weird yeah after like weeks of a roller coaster
1: yeah yeah it was a very strange feeling and um, that was a hard day I didn't I thought the day of the DNC was going to be really hard emotionally Um, but the next day uh, was the hardest for me. It was just
0: like sitting in the quiet, sitting. in the reality. You're not distracted by anything.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's it's over. I'm no longer pregnant, and yeah, it was it, it was a really tough day. I don't really know how else to put it. I just I cried a lot. My husband sat with me. We cried together. Um, yeah, and. That was kind of that. And then a few, I recovered really well. I went back to work on the Monday. Um, and then I don't, I haven't, I have read of women having this. Um, it was about six days after my procedure. I had some really, really heavy bleeding at work and I passed a bunch of clots. And I had a bunch of cramping, I had to go home, my co-worker had to drive me home, I had gone like soiled my pants because there was so much blood that had come out, um, and then it just stopped, <laughs> like as quickly as it came on, it, it stopped, so I followed up with my family doctor and they thought that it was just, um, the uterus contracting down. Okay. Uh, yeah, so I don't know if you've encountered too many women who've had that happen, but, uh, I really hadn't heard a lot of women share that in their stories, so I was really surprised, but I was grateful that, uh, like, the my first reaction was, oh my goodness, I'm gonna have to have another dnc Yeah,
0: Which, is there something left? Mm-hmm. Yes,
1: yes, so I had an ultrasound, and, um, of course, this was the day before the Canada Day long weekend, so, Everything was closed unless I went to the hospital, um, for the ultrasound, but the bleeding had stopped. So I went for the ultrasound the following week and there was no retained tissue or products. So that was able to just be the end of my physical journey of it. that, yeah. What about
0: the emotional? I mean, gosh.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It was, really tough. I think I was in shock for the first two or three weeks and the grief was just so much. I I barely remember like the first month after. It was just getting, I, I was going back to work. I was getting through my days and just crying very quickly. I was crying at home. I was just so lost in my grief. I think I listened to every single one of your podcasts, um, just hearing all these other women's stories and it made me feel very comforted. I didn't really have, I don't have anybody in my life who has had a miscarriage. So I didn't really have a lot of people who understood how I was feeling and um, people were really em- empathetic and supportive um, with the initial learning about the miscarriage, but then as time goes on, like, their lives go on and you're just kind of left there, like, but hey, I just had this major life-altering thing happen to me, like, three or four weeks ago, and you're just acting like everything is okay. So I found that really difficult. And uh, one of the things, actually, I owe a lot to you um, in terms of my healing journey is uh, you did an interview with Sherry Johnson, and I listened to your her podcast, and so I reached out to her. Oh, I'm so glad. Yeah, yeah, so I reached out to her. Um, it was a few days after my DNC, and I just happened to hear her podcast, and I decided, I think I need to reach out to this woman and see what this program is all about and see if that will help me, because I didn't know what else to do. I was like, yeah, journaling sounds great, but I don't really know what to write, or yeah, meditation would be good, but where do I start with that? Like, I had no idea where to start dealing with my grief. So, I was just sitting in it. So, this program, um, it's been amazing working with Sherry. She just really gives you the tools um, to do your own work. It's kind of like almost a guidebook of how to handle your grief in a way. So, that's been really amazing going through the program. Um, With it being summer, we already had holidays and stuff but so um it is a six-week program but I've I'm two weeks behind so I'm just going into my fifth week of it and it's been really great to help tackle some emotions that I didn't even know were there some angry thoughts towards people or situations that you didn't really realize you were holding on to until you take a step back and it's really taught me how to release those emotions and just let it go and move on with my grief process.
0: Danielle, that's so good. Yeah, yeah. I'm so proud of you great. for reaching out to her, cause that's hard too when you're sitting in grief, to take that <laughs> step and reach out. So, oh yeah. my gosh,
1: good. yeah, yeah, it's been really great. Um, okay. Yeah, so that's been really helpful, and just um, in the last couple of weeks, I actually decided it was time to seek out. Professional help and go and see a counselor. Good. Um, yeah, a couple people said that right off the bat, and it wasn't that I felt that I didn't need it, but I just I wasn't ready. I just yeah. I, I was just, just sitting in it, and that's where I wanted to stay.
0: Well, and that's okay, you know, for yes. you and for the people listening. Like, you can sit in it for a while, because there is a lot to learn. Yeah, in just allowing yourself to be. But it's also important to recognize the point, like you did, of, okay, it's time to reach out to someone.
1: Yeah, yeah, of course. And, of course, I had my husband, and he's been so amazing through this whole process, and he, he's obviously dealing with his own grief with everything, but he has just been my rock through this whole situation, and I'm, I, I'm very blessed to have him.
0: That's wonderful, yeah. yeah. It's hard. It's hard for the the partner for sure. Yeah. I'm curious uh, in what you've done so far with Sherry Johnson. Is there anything for the partner?
1: Um, not so far, but this week, um, like week five, it's a lot about reconnecting with your partner. Oh,
0: that's great. Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, like. Um, mentally, physically, emotionally, uh that kind of um is the theme of the week. And uh, awesome. she pairs the program with essential oils and the essential Love oil that. it's yeah, it's been so great. Um the essential oil this week is called passion, so it's very uh very suitable. So Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Anything else that you want to share with us today?
1: Yeah, um Yeah, I guess uh, I just kind of got sidetracked after um, talking about the DNC experience. Oh um, yeah, we
0: got all off on how awesome you're doing with this program. So let's get back to that.
1: Yeah, so we um, had a follow-up middle of July with our uh, primary doctor and went over the results of the products of Conception. Uh, we were able to learn the gender of the baby, which we had talked about, and I wanted to know because I felt it would really help just kind of bring a life to that little baby that I lost and help to memorialize a little bit better. So everything was okay genetically speaking with our little baby, and um, my doctor... Did that make it
0: easier or harder?
1: A little harder. Mm-hmm. Um initially it was harder knowing that it would have been a healthy baby and learning the gender because it wasn't it, it was a more specific loss. It changed a loss to losing having a baby into a more specific It personified it, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But I wanted to know and I do think overall it has helped me with my closure. Um not that I ever going to have complete closure from this but it's helped me in terms of leaving my grief in that spot if that makes sense yeah yeah so um the other part I was quite worried about too going up for my follow-up was okay I've there's no specific reason to ever suspect like how we've been led on there's no reason to believe that there was anything wrong and that we couldn't conceive so why have I now had a failed embryo transfer and a miscarriage with two healthy embryos so I was very um wanted to push for like blood work and work up as if I've had multiple losses and so we go into the appointment and my doctor he's just so great I can't say enough good things about him he was just so empathetic and really acknowledged our loss and uh, he felt he really felt for us and he before I even had to kind of push for anything he's like so I think we need to start looking for there being a potential cause for why this happened I think we need to treat you like you've had multiple losses I want to do like all this testing the immune testing um the clotting factor testing, all of that, and do a song histogram again, check for scarring. So he is right where I wanted him to be. So that was really great. So right now we're just in the midst of doing the testing. Um, we're looking into, um, retesting that other embryo so we can make a decision in the future, but, uh, yeah, it's very different. It's not just, hey, we get to, you know, have sex and try again and have another, like, shot and have a baby. We only have, like, one or two chances left at having a baby, so.
0: And do you need to be really careful not to get pregnant naturally?
1: Yes. Yes, we I are... mean, that has
0: to be kind of stressful, too. Like, yeah. oh, we want a baby, but careful.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it has been that way, um, like, ever since we found out, and even as soon as we knew the potential, it's always been, we're very careful with birth control, because we have to be, yeah, yeah, it it changes. It's such
0: an interesting dynamic. Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's a
1: very different dynamic, for sure. Because
0: most people I've interviewed going through IVF, like, you know, sometimes they do get pregnant naturally, in between, or something, and that's... That's exciting, that's good Yeah, but they
1: get those little miracles <laughs>
0: Yeah, but this is certainly unique
1: Yes, it is So, yeah, there's really
0: Any answers from the tests thus far?
1: No, not so far I actually had my sonohistogram this week And everything was fine And there was no scarring from the DNC So, I'm very relieved to hear that mm-hmm. And um, I'll get my blood tests results next month, but so far, uh, we're just kind of in another, uh, season of waiting until we, um, like I'm obviously not ready to try again. I'm not in a place emotionally to fathom going through either another embryo transfer failing or going through another miscarriage. Like I, I know I need to take some more time and really, give myself time to still recover
0: yes. and grieve yeah. yes mm-hmm. yeah. what else um,
1: yeah I, I don't think I have much else um, I just really loved being like knowing that you had this resource out here because, and I feel this is brought up on every podcast I listen to there just really isn't a lot of support out there. I was looking for like physical groups I could go to. There's nothing like that. Um, So it's just really great what you're doing and uh, giving women a space to share their story and to feel some sort of camaraderie with these other women who have gone through such a horrible thing. Um, And just bring people together in that way it's really amazing that you do this and you brought me to sherry and that's really amazing that you were able to do that that has helped my grief journey so much and i'm so grateful to both of you um
0: yeah that's wonderful thank you so much for your time today and for sharing your story so openly
1: thank you i appreciate it and thank you so much for having me and letting me share my story
0: Hey you, stay connected. Find us on Instagram at Managing Miscarriage, on Facebook at Miscarriage Nonprofit, and don't forget to download the free e-guide on our website, managingmiscarriage.com. Please rate and review this podcast to help other women find us and consider sharing your story. Hang in there, mama.